Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Holy and gracious God, may your Holy Spirit give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, we may know the hope that is in Christ Jesus and what He has called us to, the riches of His glorious inheritance among us, and the greatness of His power to those of us who believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a great, great problem that all of us have. It is a problem that none of us want. And it is the problem of pain. The problem of pain. It is the Achilles heel of the Christian faith. Pain. For centuries people have wrestled with the conundrum how a good and loving God could allow evil and pain be so prevalent in the life of His elect, and in His creation. It's a philosophical question that has brought many branches of philosophy, one of which I'm a great fan of, which is all throughout the Scripture, Stoicism. It's not the denial of pain, it's the acceptance of it. It was the philosophy of the day when the Apostle Paul wrote in the Jesus Walk the Earth, it was, a, it was a philosophy looking for Messiah, and it is interesting, it is Christianity that killed it. You went Stoicism, Stoa is the porch. Stoa is a, Greek, is a Latin word for porch, Stoa. Stoicism, the porch. And there is a marvelous book called From the Porch to the Cross. And it was the cross of Christ that ended it. It was the cross of Christ that in, ended it. It is a, in the final analysis though, the problem is one that quickly moves from the abstract level where we look at problems to one that's very real and experiential. That's where philosophy bumps into reality. Evil has been defined in two terms, and I want to give these two terms to you. One is privation. I want you to write it down, and I'm going to exposit this single verse, is privation. The other one is negation. Privation and negation. This was particularly fleshed out by Augustine of Hippo, who is the father. He is the father of theology as Abraham is the father of faith. Augustine of Hippo, Augustine of Hippo and then the great 12th, 13th century thinker Thomas Aquinas. The definition divides evil in the terms of a lack or the negation of the good. Evil is the lack or the negation of good. 
just like darkness is the negation of light. We define sin as any want or conformity or transgression of the law of God. What is the law of God? The law of God is anything God has said. It is His law. And so we speak of sin as disobedience, lawlessness, immorality, unethical behavior, and the like. We, we call it, we speak of sin in negative terms. And so, what do you have? Evil then, based on privation and negation, nothing can be said to be evil without the prior standard of good. So I want you to understand something. The reason, you, write, you might write this down. The re, this is not my notes. I'm not reading this. The reason you have problems is because you know what is good. Right? Right. See, you get it. Always. The reason you know there's problems is because you know what is good. What do you focus on? The problem or the good? The reason you know there's evil is because you know what the light looks like. We have fellowship with one another. 1 John 1, 7 says, He is in the light and we walk with Him in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all sin and we have fellowship with one another. Not because of our darkness, but because of the light. Not because of our evil, but because of the light. The only reason there's darkness is the privation and the negation of good. Who does that in your life? Only you. The Democrat Party can't do it. The conspiracists can't do it. The reptile people who live under the ground and have put up a periscope in my backyard can't do it. By the way, they work for Nortex. Next time y'all come to my house, I'm going to show you where the periscope is. In fact, you won't have to look for it. I'm going to, I'm going to put it there. I found someone else in our church has the periscope too, and I don't think you know it. You're being watched. Listen, I, I think I could stop right there. I mean, that's it. I have nothing else to say. The reason you know there are problems is because you know there's good. It's not because you know the facts. The reason you think the way you do about the 2020 election is because of good, not because of the facts. We don't know if it was stolen or not, but we know one thing. One man took the oath of office, and whoever takes the oath of office is the President of the United States. And that's good enough for me. So I will fly my flag proudly. Because even in this country, the transition of power was peaceful despite whoever instigated our national shame, which January 6th. But I will not live in January 6th. I'll live in 1776. And all the other days that were great, seeing from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. I'm not going to believe for one minute that any of our vets, I'm training my dog, you know, to become a therapy dog. Said so you should train her to be an emotional support dog. You're right. I should. I need one of those. I really do. I'm losing my brain. But I'm going to tell you, I'm training her, and this is why I'm training her to be a therapy dog. That's not an emotional support dog. A therapy dog is a dog that is extra trained in good behavior. 
and can be taken into the DFW airport airside, hello, and taken to, let's say Ainsley is going to fly on an airplane from DFW to Alaska. And I don't know if Ainsley's ever flown on an airplane. And let's say, let's just make it even harder and she's going to go by herself. Well, she's going to have a hard time. Here comes Dr. E and Beth, Liberty. Well, now that Truett's girlfriend's name is Bethany, I've got a name, we've named our dog Clifford. So here comes Clifford. And the whole purpose of Clifford is to go find her, let her lay down, and let her pet her. And if she needs Clifford to go seat her on the plane, the airport will let you do that. That's, that is a way to give myself away. When I say, why'd you get such a big dog? Because when I start walking her downtown, everybody's going to know, there's Clifford. Who's she walking? Oh, that's Dr. E. He's getting thin. Because she's so big, she'll draw it. But she's also, for another reason, is to go into the USO at the airport and greet those soldiers when they come home from those endless political wars. And to go to the VA, to go to the nursing home, to bring her to your house, and to bring you comfort. That is just an extension of who I am. I have to do that. And the great thing about Clifford, she doesn't talk. She just eats and passes. I want her to be a... But what makes her not evil? Because she's good. Problems are the results. So you write this down if you don't take anything else out of here. Anything you see negatively or badly or feel is because of privation and negation of good. What did I pray for us in the sanctification of the saints? That we come to the knowledge of truth. What is the truth? Jesus Christ. I don't believe or live my life like Jesus is perfect. But I'm going to tell you something. I know He is. I know He is. And one day my belief will catch up to my knowledge. But I know that even my own unbelief, His grace is sufficient for. Because I don't just believe in Him. I absolutely trust Him. Amen? You want me to exposit the text or you can go from that? I mean, I could literally be finished. But I can't. I have to be faithful. At the time of the Reformation, which I'm steeped in, the time of the Reformation, I'm about to put the 95 Thesis on the door out here. I'm going to pay to have it done. I'm going to pay for it myself. Have it printed and put on the door. The 95 Thesis that changed Christianity. Well, it brought it back. At the time of the Reformation, the, Re the Reformers embraced the definition of evil that they had inherited from the earlier church fathers. And they modified it with one critical word. That is the word actual. Write the word down the word actual and then I will stop being philosophical, though pastoral, and move into <coughs> biblical. If you, listen to me, look at me. If we don't learn our history, we're destined to repeat it. That's why these little kids that are homeschooled, that are learning everything there is to know about 
George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and all that stuff, we pray one day they're going to be all right. My homeschool kids 4.0 in college. Can't believe it. They can't either. If I was their teacher, they would have four-pointed and getting busted for talking. I'm a very proud dad, and I'm glad my kids are here. Care Grace, though, is moving off in a month, and so she's going to stop going to church altogether. She's never going to have another pastor like the one she's had. Y'all pray, or we take up an offering to let them drive their car up here. I told them they could ride the train. The word actual. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. This is serious. The problems and the, the purpose and the, the issue of evil is not the, the privation or negation of good. It is the actual privation and negation of good. You know what that, how that makes it different now? You know how, how that's different? That's what the reformers did. They changed it from what Augustine said and Thomas Aquinas this is what this means. Listen to me. This is meaningful. The problems are not the result of the negation and the, and the uh, privation of good, but of actual privation and negation. So this warrants a response. When you are feeling bad, low, evil, sinful, treated wrong, or whatnot, this is what you ask. What is true. What is actual? I remember a family I pastored and I've never gotten along ever with the chairman of search committees when I was a Baptist preacher. I don't know why that is. I just haven't. I get along great with the one that was here now. Great. Every time I see Robbie we hug. It's like, where have you been all my life? But when I've been the pastor of the church wherever the search committee chairman goes, which is typically it. I, it. It didn't take six weeks and I didn't get along with them. I didn't want to because I'm always for the underdog. But, the, but I remember this. This family been in that church forever since Moses got off the ark. Yeah, I know it was Noah. And they came and leveled a charge against me that I didn't love them. Now some of you would say the same. But the question I want to ask you is what is the truth? Do you realize since COVID, I've only been out of this pulpit one time where I was not in the building? One time. I've been here when Rick's preached. I was here when Andy Cherry preached. One time. George and Bill and Mr. Haley said I had to be out six weeks a year. They never enforced it, and they couldn't do it anyway. There has to be an actual privation. So you have to ask yourself a question. What is the truth? All right, so let's use one that's secular today. Why are they doing all this stuff to Donald Trump? You know what the truth is? Are you ready? Here's the truth. We don't know. We don't know. We just don't. But I'll tell you this, after what they've done, I said I'd never vote for that man again. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to vote for him. I won't primary him, but if he's a candidate, I'll vote for him. Because there's something. I'll tell you what, his legacy of the country is not the judge. 
His legacy as a country, his, his, his presidency separated the goats from the sheep. And much of the folks you love very much that you listen to are goats. One of the greatest men of God to ever live who has reached more people than Billy Graham died this week. Charles F. Stanley. He reached more people than Billy Graham. Never ever went up to a home visit. The day he was called to the church, the chief deacon came and hit him on the cheek. The choir walked out and he was elected pastor. They showed a picture yesterday I saw of his prayer closet. I've always wondered what Dr. Stanley's prayer closet was. And I used to be so foolish to think he lost his marriage because he spent too much time praying with God. No, he didn't. He lost his marriage because God chose, I'm going to show you all something that's going to absolutely, you Southern Baptists, I'm going to show you that divorce is not the scarlet letter. And I'm going to make the most powerful, potent, popular man in the world that preaches the gospel a divorce minister. Isn't that something? But see, how can I say that? Because I'm looking at the truth. I'm not looking at the problem. That's what we have to do. So look at how the nation groans. Look at verse 22. For we know... The whole creation groans. You write this down. I don't know, Gene, if, if this has happened to you. My mother had chemotherapy. My father had chemotherapy. Some of y'all have had chemotherapy. But I can say this, I think truly. It is very hard to be Christian when your head is in the toilet. Vomiting. Trying to live. It's very hard to be a Christian when you walk around with great pain and sickness that can kill you. It's hard. It's very hard to watch your parents die. I feel like I lost a parent when Bill died. I was supposed to go to Aggie Muster. They had a ticket for me to go to College Station Friday. They were going to call his name. It's silver taps. I couldn't do it. And the reason I couldn't do it is I couldn't contain it. I'm as much part of the white family as they are of mine. What they do is they call names, a hundred names. And at the end they were going to call William F. White. His grandson was going to answer, Here! I couldn't do it. Johnny said, we'll take care of you. Come stay with us. Got your hotel. Come ride with us. Do it. I couldn't do it. I'm just a wuss. I miss my friend. It's hard to be a Christian when you've got to stand over their grave. It's hard to be a Christian when you look at your marriage and it's falling apart. It's hard to be a Christian when you're a fallen man. Nothing ever in this world, listen to me, my friends, Nothing is ever going to change your past. And nothing is ever going to change your flesh. Nothing. But your future has been guaranteed. And because of it, that should change your present. But it's hard to be a Christian when your head's in the toilet. 
The Bible says in Job chapter 1, 21, it says, The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job chapter 13, verse 5, he said, Though he slay me, I will trust him. If every communist democrat in this nation, and they're all communists anyway, if every single one of them was elected to power, from dog catcher to health inspector, all the way, every single person was a pro-abortion, pro-homosexual, anti-white male politician, we'd still be okay. Because you know what? They can't cut down all the trees, and after all, they're Democrats, and Democrats want to save the trees. Republicans are the ones that cut down the trees. I'm being honestly, the title of the message is The Most Honest Sermon. You say I'm being political. Where? If I'm being political, then I have to be lying to you. Right? If I'm being political, then I have to say something that every one of you in this room agrees with, and every one of you don't. So what is a problem? A problem is the absence, actually, of the privation and the negation of good. How do we do that? We create it ourselves. And so in the text, what is said here, he says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. Now, I don't know what childbirth is like, but I'll tell you this much. When I took Kelly to the hospital where she laid that egg there in Grapevine, Texas, I told her with her feet right against the window of my blazer, I said, don't you dare pop your water in my car. I took her up there, got her on the floor. Kara Grace had decided she was going to come out sideways and backward and do a somersault. And Kelly grabbed, I had on a white shirt that I bought from Walmart, a white shirt, and she ripped it and said, you did this to me! She denies it to this day. And when she was born, I said, you gave birth to a lizard. I don't know anything about childbirth. Then when he came along, the doctor didn't even show up. And then, so the nurse was delivering him, but the doctor had to come and make her $5,000 and came in and got out the salad spoons. You know, the forceps? I said, mm-mm, we're not doing that. Because Kelly's uncle died from having his heads crushed with the forceps. He lived to be 40 years old. And, he was, and I said, we're not doing that. So she didn't even have any pain medication. But I did. I took the epidural. And Truett came out like 15 pounds. That's the groanings of childbirth. I don't know anything about it. But I want you to know this. When you look at this text, if you begin up here in verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. How is Paul saying that? Because he knows what is the actual privation and the actual negation of good. He knows what it is. And he knows that in Christ... Well, how's he in the chapter? Just look at the end of the chapter. Verse 36, he says, For what sake are we being put to death all day that we are counted as sheep for the slaughter? But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Holy smokes! 
There it is, Batman. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, things to come, nor powers, height, depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? You and I, daughters and sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. In hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery of corruption into freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know... The whole creation groans and suffers the pains of child death until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. So what you have now is not the last fruit. It's the first fruit. You got that? Quit living like it's the last. It's the first. There's something better coming. Every Baptist in here knows that story. Everyone knows that story. of The woman that the preacher went to go see. And she was about to die and she, she had a new preacher. And there's some ladies, they write the name of their preacher in their Bible. They already have the entire service outlined. And fortunately, it's only 30 minutes long. Praise God. Only 30 minutes long. We're going to ship you off. Get it done. But you know, when they get a new preacher, what do they do? They erase their name. So here's what happens. You go see the old lady. Name's Movelda Harp. Miss Harp, how do you want to be buried? I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. Why do you want to be buried with your fork in your hand? Well, you know how at potluck suppers, when we pick up the plates, we tell everybody, keep your fork because something better's coming because they're waiting for dessert. Even Mary Jo, my, my food police, cuts me pies. And I do believe she has enough grace she'd bring me a Twinkie. If it was there to be brought, she'd do it. She would be guilty of duplicity but it would not be the negation or privation of good, actually. But why do you want to be buried with a fork in your hand? Well, preacher, this is why. Because I want people, when they walk by, they're going to ask you, why, Brother James, does she have a fork in her hand? Well, it's just like I just told you in the sermon. She knew something better's coming. Because she ain't here. We have the first fruits, not the last fruits. Do you think we free people here in Gainesville, Texas don't have something better coming? George knows this. Bill knew it. Out there at Spring Creek Road, there's a hill and there's a couple houses sitting on top of it. That's where I want to put the church. Those people have to die. We have to get the land. But I'm going to tell you what, it would be a disaster if we had done that now because you know why? You can't even drive in the driveway because of the highway. God knows what He's doing. You say, why do you want to put it out there? Because Mr. Haley's going to build the church out of glass. Be the new crystal cathedral. You'll be able to see it from Sanger. And it'll have a steeple so tall. So we don't need a steeple. You are going to have a steeple. It's non-negotiable. If it's a toothpick, we're going to have a steeple. I've never pastored a church with a steeple. Yeah, I did. My first one. It leaned to the left. Did you know what? I was looking it up the other day. They took the steeple down. 
don't want to be churchy. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Hear these words. God's goodness is transcendent and immeasurable. Listen to this. He says in the verse, he says, For I, considering the sufferings of this present time, not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Listen to me. Transcendent, write this down. Transcendent means everywhere. There's nothing that can hold it back. Okay? It's like kryptonite to Superman. If you take kryptonite to Superman, he's going to not be Superman anymore. He's just going to be human. Okay? But if you put kryptonite in a box and put it in front of Superman, it will not hurt him because it cannot transcend the box. In Andrews, we have a nuclear waste dump, okay? They bring all of the nuclear waste out there, sealed in lead, wrapped in concrete, okay? Big business, okay? The radiation cannot get out. It's not transcendent. But if kryptonite were transcendent, then it would go everywhere regardless of what contains it, what, what holds it. God's love and power cannot be contained. You know what that means? Listen to me. It means it cannot be denied. It is the absolute good because it is completely suffers the privation and the negation of actual evil. Isn't that something? I hope this is on. Is this in my notes? So God's love is transcendent but it's also immeasurable. You can't measure it. Well, we, this is how we know James loves us, if he checks these boxes. Okay. Try checking the boxes for God. Better yet, try checking the boxes for you. Stop looking at yourself for what bad's in you. Start looking at yourself for what Christ is in you. The fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much, the Bible says. Our righteousness is my righteousness that He gave me. I'm wearing a robe because it reminds me of the weight I carry. But I, you know what? You know why preachers wore robes long ago? They could not afford clothes. A proper set of clothes. So the preacher put on a robe. That's where it came from. Just like the Lord's Supper covered with a tablecloth, that come from Alabama. Because the mosquitoes out there, not bigger than Texas, but they are as big as alligators. To keep the skeeters out of the Lord's Supper. That's where that whole shroud came from. You thought I'd hair lip the government when I got rid of that across the street. God's good is immeasurable. And it's transcendent. The future, write this down, the future will be revealed to us. That, the text tells us this. The future will be revealed to us. The Bible tells us that this future will have an eternal weight of glory. Imagine a weight. Any of you burdened with anything? Weighing you down? Making life hard for you? Imagine the, weight, the greatest weight you will ever experience in your life. This is an actual truth. The greatest weight you will ever bear is the glory of God. Whoo! I'm glad I came to church. The future glory will far exceed what we have seen and heard and longed for in our hearts. Write that down. It will exceed and go farther and be more than we could have ever imagined and longed for in our hearts. 
in our hearts. Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered the hearts of man. The things God has prepared for you. That's an actual truth. Well, I've got cancer and it's killing me. Yep. Die like a saint. I remember his name was Cecil Eberhardt. Some of you have heard me tell this story. He worked for my dad at Amico in 1984. He was an old, old Amico hand. I've, I pastored his, his family in Oklahoma in my first church and the church split off of it. And Cecil got prescribed a medicine by a doctor that killed his liver. He got exactly the things that some of you are absolutely afraid of happening. It happened to him. He got a medicine that was to help him. It killed his liver and he died of hepatitis. He turned yellow and died. And he turned bitter and he died. He was a deacon. He got mad at me because I didn't do something right or this or wrong. I don't even know what it was. It was ridiculous. It had something to do with barbecue and chicken. Okay? I don't know what that has to think. But I remember going to see him. He called me to come see him. He told me I couldn't do his funeral like that's a punishment. Let me promise you something. That is no punishment to me. We're not going to let you do our funeral. Good. I don't like doing them anyway. And if I don't do them, I don't go to them. I'm with the living. I'm not with the dead. I really mean that. And he asked me to come over and he apologized to me. I said, Mr. Everhart, this is, the, this is when I found out I was Irish. I looked in his eyes and I said, Mr. Everhart, I forgive you. And I know you're dying. And I'm really sorry. But you're a Christian and you need to die like one. Because you sure haven't lived like one. You need to die like it. The world has dealt you a bad hand. You have been... You have a reason to have a lawsuit to sue everybody else. But as for you, you have a glory and should die like a believer. Not like a cursed, old, yellow, jaundiced liver man. I did that in his house 30 years old. If he was strong enough, he'd have probably whooped me and I'd have whooped him back. I was peeved. Well, it's set. Two weeks later, I'm preaching... And they call me. And they say, Brother James, Mr. Everhart's dying and they need you at the bedside. You finish your sermon and come out here. I saw one of the most amazing things. I've been, more than any of you, probably all you put together, I've been in the room with more people that have died. Don't try to compete with me on that. I have. I've been there. I've watched them die. Mr. Everhart had his four children and his wife and he was blessing them the way Aaron gave the Aaronic blessing. He took his son Eldon, who was my good friend. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be great. He did that to all four of his kids. And then all of a sudden, his fingers turned yellow to green. And death, in just a moment of time, took him. He died like a believer with blessing on his lips. You're going to go to lunch today and somebody's going to give you green beans instead of spinach. If you died, are they going to remember you for that, how you responded? It's one meal. We have this thing. 
a future glory. And here's something else. Not only does this glory, something that is going to be revealed in us, it's an eternal weight. It's going to exceed what we thought. But here's something else the text says. It's going to be so glorious that it's going to reflect through us. But we don't have to wait till heaven for that to happen. You can walk out of here and let it shine. Let it shine. The word here, creation, it's condemned for its vanity in the text. The creation is subjected to futility, it says in verse 20. Why? It suffers because it has been subjected to all of this terrible, awful corruption. Everything under man, animal, plant, mineral, all creation is a picture of living and wanting expectantly for a day when the sons of God will be revealed. Creation right now is looking for the men of God and the women of God to rise up. And that solution is not a political solution. No one goes to Washington and comes home the same. No one. I pastored a man. He was the state's executioner for Utah and then the state of Texas. Before that, he was the warden of, of, uh, of uh, Fort Leavenworth Prison. And then he went and was hired by the Department of Justice. And he became uh, E15 in the gov- G15 in the government, which is like a three-star general. And he was the head of the Iraqi police force and military police training and jail system. And he was the man that oversaw the hanging of Saddam Hussein. He had an office in Washington, D.C. His wife is the president of Concerned Women for America. I pastored them for many, many years. Finally, they moved to Washington. They came back, not the same people. This man's a professional killer. If Terry walked in right now, you wouldn't miss him. He's six foot seven and bald. Professional killer. If you're going to be executed, you want him to do it. He's the nicest guy in the world. I remember riding in his car when he told me that. I was like, you can just let me out. We were at Ragtown and outside of post just let me out of the car. State executioner. Everything. Why do you have execution? Because everything is messed up. But we think if you go to Washington, that'll change it. It won't change it. You go to the United Nations, it'll change it. You go put Putin out. Listen, the only thing worse than Putin is the guy that's going to replace him. We learned that in Libya by the nation build, no nation building president, George W. Bush. He said, I'm not going to be, he campaigned, I will not be a nation builder. Baloney. We learned about it in Libya. We got rid of Muammar Gaddafi. We've learned. Create, creation, just write it down. Creation is subjected to, the, to corruption because it is condemned for its vanity and it is subjected to corruption, though in hope. I want you to get that. Although it is condemned because of its vanity, it is subject to the corruption with hope. When you become hopeless, you are experiencing darkness. When you become hopeless, you are now practicing the privation and the actual negation of light. There's one hope I have in my life. It is to finish well. That's it. And the more I hope it, the more I realize I have to hope it. Because it's just not in me. I can't do it. It's just not. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm not being pitiful. I can't do it. But it's the one thing I want to do is finish well. 
I want to die preaching. And I want that last sermon to be good and long and then die. <coughs> Creation is going to be delivered from the corruption. Write that down. It's going to be delivered from the corruption. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom. Let me tell you how this is going to look. All right. Listen. They're not going to rebuild the temple. Okay? There's no reason to rebuild it. We're the temple. Well, what about the land promises that Jeremiah got in the Old Testament. They are going to be fulfilled, but not on this earth. They are going to be fulfilled in the new heaven and the new earth. This world will not see what you have all been taught your entire adult lives in end-time theology and what you have been taught by the people that believe that no longer believe it. It is dying and it will die with this generation. Praise God. The new heaven and the new earth will be the place where we will dominate, rule forever. I don't even know what that looks like. But we'll be at both places and I think it's just one. Because God is going to not restore, He's going to recreate it. He's going to finish finally what was started in the garden. Now those people that talk about the new temple and the new all this and the thousand year and all that, they're the ones that will also tell you between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there's a gap. And that God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't like it because of what happened in Genesis 6, so He destroyed it and started over. So we're actually on the second earth. No, we're not. That's gap theory. So I didn't need to know that. Unfortunately, you didn't. But, the cre- but we will be delivered from this corruption. But if I'm delivered from the corruption, I have to be totally delivered. That means I can't have one eyelash left in this corruption. When you and I go to glory, we're not taking this with us. Not one bit of it. Because it's corruptible. When Christ sets up His reign forever with His people whose faith has given way to sight, When the clouds have been rolled back and the trumpet has sounded, there will be nothing of this left except this. The Word. There won't be televangelists. There won't be charismatics. There won't be Southern Baptists. There won't be Mormons. There won't be Jews. There there will only be the people of God's Word. From every tribe, tongue, and nation. And the creation is laboring for this. In America, the church is laboring for this. And the church has been exposed for its hypocrisy with the Trump administration and the election of Biden. That the church, the people of God, fear, truly fear, and the people of God believe in a political solution. There is not one. There is one solution. It's for you to reflect the glory of Christ, and quit, pri- quit the privation and negation of good in your life. Begin to look what is excellent. If you have a failed marriage, then go look for what's excellent. Say, well, could you say something good about the devil? I sure can. 
He works very hard. He's persistent. And here's the funny thing. He knows he's lost, but he's going to make every, everything he's got. You know what? He doesn't have the eternal weight of glory. He has the eternal weight of condemnation waiting for him. For those people he's tormenting now, he knows it will be his soon because one day God's going to show up down there in his omnipresence and in all of his wrath and subject them to eternal wrath ever and ever while you and I will be casting crowns at the feet of the Lamb and we won't ever be in heaven and look at Jesus and say I can't believe I'm here you know why? because all we got to do is look at Him when we see Jesus in His eyes and He looks at us we're going to know it's kind of like look at Gene and look at Mary Jo Connie you look at somebody you just know they love you when we look at Jesus Christ in the eye, not one of us in Christ are going to sit there and go, I cannot believe here. I shouldn't be here. How could you say that to the one who was held on the tree for your sin? Despising the shame yet for the joy set before Him, endured the cross. For we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. But brothers and sisters, in this whole scene that's mentioned here, look at verse 23 and I'm finished. I have not followed my notes. I'm grateful. And not only this, but we ourselves, whatever problem you're facing, listen to me, whatever you're facing, Whatever has got you caught up, stirred up, tied up, weighted down, whatever it is, but not only this, we ourselves also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, the guarantee, the escrow, even we groan within ourselves. I shaved my hair off this week. Because I need you to pray for me. That's why I did it. I wanted it to be, I have beautiful hair. But I shaved it off because I want you to say, I didn't wear a suit today, I dressed in black. I'm mourning. Something's dying in me. And I need your prayers. I need you to pray for James, not your pastor. I want you to be my friend because I'm James, not your pastor. I wonder. I want you to be the one that calls, not just me. My head is shaved because I am hurting. With a hurt I've never known. And a pain I've never known. I'm going to go see Larry tomorrow. I'll probably have to pay him. I need a dad. But I'm going to tell you this. My hair's going to grow back. And I'm going to wear a suit. And I'm going to smile. I'm still going to make you laugh. This too shall pass. You know why? 
because of verse 23. We ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, offers ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting our adoption. Do you know what that means? You know, you can sign the... Rita and Robert, y'all, y'all adopted your son. But he wasn't adopted until you picked him up. Now, Larry did it for you. But it's when you picked him up that he was adopted. Hasten, our journey baby. Whatever the paperwork says, when you picked him up, he was adopted. What a family. You can't turn down an adoption once you've done it. Within ourselves, eagerly awaiting our adoptions as sons. The redemption of our body. What is our body? Our body is God's creation. What is our body? Our body is God's creation of what? His image. That is the answer to the transgender argument. You talk to somebody that's transgender, first of all, you need to talk to them. Speak with them. Don't argue with them. They don't care what you think, and it's not going to make any difference. But if you love them, it will. They're welcome here. Won't be church members. Won't take communion. Won't even be able to pass out a bulletin. But they'll be loved. They'll be loved straight. But this is what you say. Well, I just don't feel like a boy. Well, okay. Why not? Probably you've raised by a woman, single family home, abusive father, or there was molestation. I just don't feel like a girl. Whatever. Here's the thing. This is the answer. Seven billion people God has allowed to walk this earth at this moment. Every single one of them bear His image. What right do I have to change what He is? Well, I don't believe in that, but uh, He does. And that's what makes you special. My dear friend, Dr. Gordon, who will be the next funeral, he's got a grandson that teaches at the University of Massachusetts Amherst that's now a granddaughter. I took him to Israel with me once. When I was with Brian when we buried Jack, Dr. Gordon, you could see the pain. And I said to them what I say to you often, Gene, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous grandmother availeth much. He's no longer Carson, he's Carlotta. And this is the weirdest thing about it. He's married to a girl or lives with a girl that's changing to a boy and he's a boy changing to a girl. I thought, well, you're still acting human, heterosexual, I'm sure. Brilliant, speaks Hindi and can play the organ. Where is the eternal weight of glory in that? Where is the hope? Well, all the church has got for him is this idea that's open doors, open mind, open hearts. You come and we'll accept you the way they are. Please make sure you have an open wallet. No. Bethany the other day, Truett's new squeeze. She's seen more of him than's weaker than I have. She said to me the other night at dinner, she said, 
what I believe to be truthful. She said, that's the sweetest people I've ever been around. Because I think every one of you went up and introduced yourself to her. I don't know if it's because she was Truett's girlfriend or what, or even believed that he had one. Believe me, he does. He's lost his mind. When this sermon is posted, it'll probably be done backwards. But ladies and gentlemen, that's the impression you had on a young lady. On a young lady that wants to drive up here now and come to this church. Go do that out there. Go makes people smile until they can't stand it. That's what I hated about COVID was the mask. You couldn't just smile. Go out there and smile at people. The creation is groaning. But here's what it's groaning for. For the sons of God to rise up. You are the sons of God. You say, I can't be one because what I've done, Jesus took care of what you did. It's finished. So don't walk around like you're a patient with your head in a toilet bowl. Go out here, smile at McDonald's. Soon it's going to be fully automated. I love what McDonald's did. You know, everybody's calling, wants $15 an hour. Fort Worth, Texas, they just opened a fully automated McDonald's. I will be there this week for some reason. They cook the hamburgers, sweep the floor and everything. It's fully automated. So there you go. You want $15 an hour? Guess what happened? You just put a whole bunch of people out of work. And you don't have to buy insurance, health insurance for robots. I don't know how I'm going to smile at a robot, but I'm going to try. That's why we come to church. That's why this broken man came to church today. Y'all like me to preach out of my heart. I'd hopefully wish you'd rather say I like it when you preach out of the Bible. But you got a very honest sermon today. Don't bombard me with emails. I do need to tell you this. Something, the, the, the creme de la creme this week was Friday night. I lost all my contacts in my iPhone. 2,209. And they're gone. So if you text me and I respond and say, who is this? Just say, okay. Only person that showed up was Genevieve and the IRS. That's it. So if, I don't, if you don't get a text from me, I've got 74 in here. See, we can even lose our, we, no, 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 just a minute. We can even lose our contacts. But brothers and sisters, we can never lose what we've got in Christ. Even in our own desperation, our own outcries, help, help. And say, you know what, James, it's going to be okay. As Roy Fish used to say to me, this too shall pass. Would you stand?